Hello and welcome to another episode of the CG Garage. This is episode number 403 featuring Karen Fong, who is a director over at Imaginary Forces. Absolutely wonderful person. Uh, had the chance to meet her uh, at THU uh, uh, earlier in this September. And uh, we filmed this in THU. So actually, you should go check out the YouTube because uh, we're able to do it in person in the setting of THU at the Oasis, which is a lot of fun. Uh, so, so yeah, it was great to be able to do that. But I want to talk a little bit about Karen and Imaginary Forces. She is a wonderful person. She uh, is uh, she's a director and mostly done a lot of title design. As you know, as you may know, Imaginary Forces is famous for a lot of its very, very important title design work, including uh, titles like uh, Mad Men, Stranger Things, Boardwalk Empire, Cowboy Bebop, Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, just name a few, and Karen is responsible for many of those. Uh, and she has done some really great work. And actually, this is a subject that I think a lot of people should know more about. And title design is absolutely important part of our, you know, of our world and of what we do uh, in, in movie making. And uh, something that sometimes it's all uh, overlooked and uh, incredibly important, like like Saul Bass's work that he's did back in the '60s. Uh, so really cool uh, to, to talk to Karen about that subject. So it's very happy to hear about that and sort of get into what's going on right now in the world of title designs, especially actually uh, how things have changed uh, with streaming and uh, and and how important uh, certain broadcast stuff has become in terms of title design as well. So really great uh, to have a conversation with her about that. Uh, sorry, Kristen is not able to join us again this week. It is uh, Thanksgiving, and uh, hopefully those of you guys who uh, had a great Thanksgiving. Um, but I have a couple announcements. I mentioned before V-Ray 6 is out for many of our products. Uh, more, most recently, V-Ray 6 for SketchUp, Revit, and the App SDK is out. Uh, but they're available for all kind of products. So if you want to check any of this information out about V-Ray 6, just go to chaos.com and get your product updates there. Uh, another thing I'd like to bring up, and I've brought it up several weeks, but I really would love the opportunity for you guys to try it out and to be part of this, is the Partners in Art program. So if you are sort of a uh, an independent filmmaker or you're doing a passion project of some kind, you want to do a short or something bigger than that or different than that uh, and you need some help uh, a partners in art program is exactly what that is available for uh, you can go to chaos.com slash partners in art all one word partners in art and uh, you should be able to look up the requirements of what it is and we'll be able to uh, provide you possibly if, you, if you're accepted into the program uh, you know some help with licenses and even some financial help as well so love to be able to do that uh, I've had I've been sort of helped uh, kick off several partners in our program uh, projects in the past and and it's really great and it's a great start to a great relationship with some amazing artists so remember again that is chaos.com slash partners in art don't have any events uh, uh, announcements this week uh, it's a little bit slow this week but we'll let you know when uh, on the next one if there's anything new coming up uh, but if you'd like to know more about the podcast you can go to facebook.com slash cg garage podcast or you can go to our website chaos.com slash cg garage and if you'd like to watch this video which I highly recommend you do because it was a lot of fun hanging out with Karen over at uh, THU in the Oasis. It is, uh, you'll be able to see it at youtube.com slash CG, uh, <laughs> sorry, youtube.com slash chaos group TV. Uh, and if you have any comments or ideas of other people you'd like to talk to or any, you know, feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is labs at chaos.com. But for now, please enjoy episode number 403 with Karen Fong. 
Welcome to another CG Garage Where the Chaos Group talks You'll know it's over when the last bucket drops We're gonna fire off rays In high dynamic range We know that ambient occlusion is passe Global illumination won't lead you astray And while image-based lighting is really swell you need to make sure everything has for now. All right. We're good. We're good. We're good. Yes. <laughs> We're good on the swings at THU. These, uh, Andre was like, swings? Why swings? And I love these swings. Have you? I've actually spent about two hours just hanging out on the swing talking to people last night. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, my kids and I have been on it. But, that, but I haven't. Uh, the first day I went to the Oasis with that. And then I haven't really uh, come back down here. But we'll have to go hang out here in the afternoon. Yeah, yeah, it's great, it's great. Okay, so uh, um, I there's a lot of stuff I wanna unpack. I saw your talk yesterday. It was a great talk. Thank you. Um, and I definitely have a passion for title sequences, so it was really cool. Sometimes the title sequences are better than the films. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm very, very excited about uh, talking to you about that. I also am interested in a little bit about your past. I know you were born in California. Uh, uh, yes, uh, outside of Los Angeles. Okay. And Southern California native. So you are Southern California native native. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. And the other thing that I thought was fascinating is the thing that influenced you into the things you do with Sesame Street. Sesame Street, yes. One of my great all-time heroes is Joan Gans Cooney, the woman who created Sesame Street. Yeah. Uh, for many reasons. One, um, it's just as a reminder that we don't always know what the media will be in our future. So when she, I always think when she was a little girl, she couldn't have said, I want to work in educational television. She sort of helped bring that right. genre up, you know, and, and in fact, it was uh, Sesame Street was uh, introduced in the late 60s was a revolutionary thing. And I always think, too, like when I was in school, there weren't apps or there weren't, you know, the, the media changes and right. you and you learn how to uh adapt new media and, and give it the missions that you want and give it the qualities that you want. And she did that with educational television, which I felt was, you know, uh, now, you know, now where there's so much edutainment, it almost seems it's mind boggling to think that in the late sixties that we did have these kind of um, channels for kids where they're learning uh, using all the craftsmanship that went into, uh, you know, advertising and, and songwriting and, and high, you know, production value. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, but it's also like Sesame Street had a an aesthetic and a and a, and a, a, a way of communicating ideas that was very specific. Yeah, and still is, totally. and still built on. And it's uh, and I never, I mean, having seen a bunch of your work and seeing a bunch of the work at IF, when you said Sesame Street, it's like, <laughs> oh, it totally makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> you know, Sesame Street. Uh, one of the reasons it influenced me, even as a child, is that its qualities of mixed media. Right. right. Like like uh, the creators brought in, they, they noticed that children were paying a lot of attention to the television commercials at the time. Right. Um, and uh, were immediately, <coughs> uh, you know, memorizing the jingles of songs. And they're like, well, what if we wrote ad jingles for the letters of the alphabet or for numbers? Right. You know, and and they brought in, of course, Jim Henson, who at the time was doing, you know, his puppets a lot of times for advertisements. Right. And some of the best people in um you know, cell animation, like, and so, you know, they had right away with these short, you know, ad-like segments, um, 
a whole bunch of media, which I felt I, I picked up right away, even as a kid. I mean, and I think those of us who grew up with Sesame Street can still remember, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, right, eight, yeah. nine, ten. You know, the certain jingles that um, would, you know, advertise different advertise different letters and numbers. Right. Uh -huh. But there was also like they, you know, would have information on the screen that would be relevant and timed to that. So there was certain like one, two, three, four that were coming up, right? And yeah. you remember those visuals and it must have been some, you know, obviously seeing what you guys are doing, were you giving information on the screen that's like even at the title sequence, like yeah. at a certain time and sort of exploring that. So that must have been some influence as well, right? Yeah, yeah, then one can't ever underestimate the, um, the power of music and sound design, yes. right? And and the then when something really works that the visual is totally uh, you know in sync with that and that just makes it, you know, nth degree more powerful, sure. right? And so, you know, the songwriting uh, and the the uh, music and the design of that on Sesame Street super powerful that so completely, you know, influenced how to time visuals out because the one with, without the others is yep. not as powerful at all. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And plus, just the the sheer. I mean, you know, it had like the letter M as a you know, yeah. as a puppet or a, S as a snake and like right. you know, just really fun ways of you know working with type and working working you know with numbers and typography in a way and and. Um, just going through different mediums. I mean, you know, later on in later episodes, you know, those William Wegman dogs with yeah. forms, you know, they just, nothing would seem to be off limits. And I think that's, you know, whether it was analog and now, you know, or more technologically sophisticated things, I think, right. you know, it was all mashed up into one soup. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's great when there's certain, you know, like even important, like uh, songwriters who, who Embrace Sesame Street, like Feist did a whole song, yeah. like one, two, three, four, like literally counting penguins on the door or whatever it was. Yeah. It was so great. So I was like, ah, oh, it's such a good thing. But I do want to know, so, so how did you go from Sesame Street as <laughs> to, to saying that's what I want to do and how did that become part of your studies or, or did you just fall into it later in your life? Well, in a weird way, I always knew I wanted to be a graphic designer. I just didn't know what it was called when I was little. So I was always making books and comic strips and little magazines I would sell to my family and friends and cards. Mm -hmm. I, I, at one point, I thought I wanted to be a greeting card artist. I uh -huh. would spend hours in the Hallmark store. You know, <coughs> I, I, I love puns, which is a terrible thing. No, that's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Most visual and verbal ones. And so like this idea of like, you know, uh, having a, you know, setting up some sort of joke and then revealing this, uh, this always a reveal is sort of right. interesting to me. And I thought maybe I, uh, so this marriage of word and image was always interesting. I always thought I'd maybe go into children's books, okay. um, which, you know, there's still time for that. Yeah. But um, I, you know, at the same time, I would be making little Super 8 films, you know, mm -hmm. um, in my, as I was a teenager, uh, I remember I did one for a, instead of a in lieu of a paper in school. And my mom's a third grade teacher. I'd make little films for her. Right. And I um, ended up, you know, studying uh, graphic design. I, I went to Yale, which also has a very good, you know, yeah. English. I, I couldn't really decide between like necessarily writing or verbal things um, or art. I knew I wanted to go somewhere with an art school. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, luckily graphic design is about that marriage between text and image. Right. And so I, I became an art major and okay. studied that. And I think the, the thing that might have pushed me even more to this is that I, you know I always loved animation right uh, but uh, my senior project 
um, which I just showed very, very briefly in my talk, yeah. uh, was an animated alphabet book. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, uh, yeah. And it was done on uh, Macromedia, or at the time, Macromind Director. Uh -huh. And uh, I was just thrilled with it. I think the most thrilling thing probably for me is like the first time I made, you know, a classic, you know, animation test is making a ball bounce. Yep. And it's like, oh my gosh, I don't have to take this to the lab, get my Super 8 film developed. Right, right. <laughs> and, yeah. and, you know, I could actually edit it. And, mm -hmm. and those of you who know, who are animators know that Macrovine, or uh, now it's Macromedia Director, is not really a pro animation uh, Yeah, but that's tool. What the tool you had. <laughs> that's the tool I had. And yeah. at the time when I was in school, an undergrad, uh, you know, everybody thought that we would be uh, reading all our books on CD-ROM. That was the new yep. medium. The multimedia revolution. Exactly. Was yes. <laughs> and so I did this book. I would, uh, you know, it was very simple in the sense of, you know, if there was the letter F, you would click on a frog and then a fly would come out right. and then you'd click on that and become a film strip and, strip right. and then fireworks would come up and you'd back off and it would be France. Uh, so it was this fun sort of like transition thing. I think, honestly, my heart, I mean, I believe in this, the power of interactivity, but I think it was just really an excuse for me to animate and, sure. and do these transitions. And then one of my professors at the time, uh, at, you know, and, and strangely enough, when I was going to school, it was sort of like in the forefront of doing this. So I remember getting this big, you know, people were allotting my use of technology, which is so funny because I don't really, <laughs> you know, but like it was this new kind of graphic design and, uh, and uh, my teacher, uh, one of my teachers, Michael Rock, uh, said, oh, you know, your work is very cinematic. And I was uh -huh. like, what? Because if you've seen this project I did, it is all my own doodles and hand drawings. Sure. It has a certain charm, but it's not a very high production value. And he said, no, you, you think very cinematically. Mm -hmm. And I thought, what is that? You know, to me, cinematic meant Lawrence of Arabia, like beautiful, right, right. You, know, uh, <laughs> you know, vistas and cinematography. Uh -huh. And he said, no, there's a way of thinking that you're doing where, you know, uh, it's about the transitions, which is true. Like cinema, mm -hmm. unlike theater or some other, other kinds of art, it's about, you know, how you put montage and shots and, and, you know, and he's like, the way you go from a cuckoo clock into, you know, into it, to a circus, that's a very cinematic transition. And right. you might really enjoy working on, um, on film titles, which is totally something I hadn't even wow. thought about. Although... Yeah, it's very, very intuitive of them to <laughs> yeah, think about. Yeah. So this was in the 90s, late yeah, 90s? I yeah, yeah, in the early, early 90s. Okay. Uh, I graduated in 1993. Yep. And uh, he's like... You know, he said, you might want to go look at um, our Greenberg Associates uh -huh. after school and, and see, you know, because your work really speaks to how things flow from one to another. Um, so, but in between that, um, I, I think I also mentioned in my talk, I, I also interviewed at WGBH Public Television. Yes. And went to work for Chris Pullman, who was the vice president of design there. And he had a little unit that did animation uh, for this show called Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego? Yep. <laughs> it's a PBS show. It, there's many versions of it. Uh, it was uh, based on the Broderbund game, but, right. but there's, the, the PBS version I did had little animated interstitials where the characters would go uh, and uh, these villains would go and, and steal... Um, steal world monuments and then right. the kids would you know the the premise of the show is like you have to find the villain and, and answer geography questions and right so i did animated sequence and, and well the funny thing was is that of all the programs that they used to do animation they used macromind director right. 
festivals on like kind of low budget. It's PBS, but right. very you know, yeah, yeah. Hot, you know, great on ideas, and it was fun. And uh, so I went to join the team, a small animation team there, and got completely hooked. You know, right. on, on working on. You know, I said before I, I might have wanted to go into books or publishing, but right. now I was completely hooked on film and, and video. Right. Um, and so after that, I did look up Kyle Cooper at our, our Greenberg Associates. Right. And ended up uh, ended up getting a job with him and uh, going to Los Angeles okay. to start my career on motion graphics, basically. Okay. Yeah. Well, all right. So, <laughs> long uh, answer of how I got into this. <laughs> well, that's a that's a that's a, Cal Cooper is obviously you know well known and for all of the amazing things. And I I remember the first time where I sort of started to notice the importance of how title sequences could could do, and it was things like Panic Room, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, Stranger Than Fiction, mm -hmm. and things that and that started to see the power of words into mm -hmm. uh, into the images that there were there, and it was really kind of striking to me, and I started to really think about the importance of, of how that works and how that how it can uh, uh, you know how how those title sequences can be much more than just the title of the movie that's in mm -hmm. well, although that's fine too but there's more to that you can do what what were some of the things that sort of inspired you when you saw some of those title sequences like what was the title sequences that were like oh that's the kind of stuff I want to do well it's funny I I, I I hadn't thought of doing title sequences as a career because who does when right. yeah. in school it's, I guess now that you can um, but uh, in school, actually, I, uh, I worked with uh, Hugo Perez, uh, one of my classmates, who sure. was a filmmaker. And funnily enough, he, he wanted me to do a title sequence for his, uh, his student uh, soap opera. or sure. uh, beds, uh, And um, when, uh, he's like, I've got this idea, and it's like Goldfinger. And I hadn't really thought, I hadn't really seen it. He's like, go look at it. And I, I was like, ooh, you know, right. uh, the, you've all seen it, the woman in gold paint. And, right, right. Uh, and the idea of actually projecting uh, titles on a body. On body. Yeah. So we, we, I remember we kind of snuck into the art, uh, one of the classrooms, which is, you know, those old Gothic buildings that had no, it's pitch black in there. And we mm. brought a slide projector and he took off his shirt and like, right. <laughs> I was trying, I was projecting titles and videoing. And wow, that was really, really one of my first sequences as a student. That's just amazing. playing with that and riffing off Goldfinger right. uh, per Hugo's suggestion. So I owe him that for the first experience of doing that. Yeah. But I do remember Boink like, oh, yeah, like, oh, he's like, go look at the opening. And of course, the Bond titles, legendary. Right. Yeah, and then legendary. you get hooked and you're like, what's the Bond? You know, then you look at all the Bond, Bond titles. Bond titles, well, they did this. And they did yeah, that, yeah, yeah. And it's kind of funny, um, you know, when I, you know, date me, but like when I was going to school, you know, like now they're all on the internet. But like before, you know, there's like you had to rent the movie or like get access to it. Yep. And somehow just for many of these uh, classic motion pieces. And so there was something kind of special, too, about that seeing it in that film Yep. context like discovering these these pieces uh, but our Greenberg was super influential for me I, I joined up uh, you know um, and just a little history about imaginary forces which is the company I'm at right now and have been for 25 years yeah. <laughs> it's been a little bit yeah uh, is you, you know they were legendary for creating some of the um, titles you might know from the 70s and 80s um, you know alien or um, uh, Superman, you know, with the yeah. slit scanner, you yeah. know, those big titles. That was Imaginary Forces? That was RGA. That wow. was the company that became Imaginary, Imaginary Forces. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so, so for a so long time. So there's a, a, a Richard Greenberg big influence, right. you know, uh, which is funny because uh, my colleague uh, Michelle Doherty had done, you know, 
the, the titles for Stranger Things and looked yep. a lot at Richard's work of from the you know 70s and 80s, that kind of typography, the kind of optical. When I first started, we were still doing optical printing, you know, yep. like doing, you know, on an Oxbury and yep. burning in titles that way. And it just turned as in the first, maybe in the first few years of working towards more of a digital production. Right. Uh, but yeah, so Richard Greenberg and his brother Bob Greenberg of R. Greenberg Associates did a lot of those classic, um, you know, title sequences, uh, right. Dead Zone and, you know, those kind of mm -hmm. really um, beautiful, actually, uh, optical sequences. And so there was a history of the company doing that. And then, of course, we, you know, we also did, you know, graphics for Chips Ahoy commercials and sure. yeah, all kinds of things, yeah. uh, you know, and film logos and, you know, um, so joining up there, um, you know, we had the whole we had a sort of like a canon of work by the company and plus what sure. we knew from you know of course looking at Saul Bass mm -hmm. and um, looking at the Bond titles and uh, you know seeing uh, and it was an interesting time like you know starting your career in the 90 early 90s of, of really some experimental things in music video were going on yep our music video as a medium really mm -hmm. was you know all over ubiquitous and and what we all looked at right um, so so combined with all that, there was, you know, a lot of ideas floating around. So we were probably in this little niche. And then, you know, like I mentioned, um, so I worked at the R. Greenberg branch in L.A. It was called RGALA. Okay. And right, you know, as we were becoming imaginary forces, because uh, I don't know if you know, Bob Greenberg then took RGA to where it is now, which is a huge, right. you know, uh, on, you know, internet technology company, sure. you know, agency, basically. Right. And, but we, we were always um, in love with still doing film projects and entertainment. And, and so while he went more in that sort of internet agency business, right. we retained uh, as imaginary forces more of our objective being uh, in film and television and commercial production and, and, and some of those things. So... Kyle Cooper, who I, you know, credit incredibly for being an incredible mentor, mm -hmm. um, in 1995 did uh, did Seven, yeah. which we uh, really helped launch our company. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's a beautiful piece. It was, it's a perfect example of something that fits so well to musically, frame, you know, every frame right. is uh, so well considered um, and fits the 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 horrific movie quite, you know, perfectly. Yeah. So it was this perfect storm where people sat up and kind of took notice again of like what the title sequence could do. Right. And it really um, helped us really launch um, into who, you know, being independent imaginary forces. Yeah, I, I can imagine that someplace like like Seven specifically, I mean, you really have to think about the partnership between the director. Because I don't think, how Cooper is an amazing person, but I don't think he would have been as it would have been as successful if it wasn't for Fincher allowing, like thinking about that as well and working along with him to do that. So there's this partnership between filmmakers and you sort of mentioned that in your talk as well of how you communicate with filmmakers and to create the vision they're trying to do. And like sometimes they have a vision in their mind and of what, how that story needs to be told. So, yeah. so, so, so what are some of the things that you, when you're thinking about these title sequences, how do you communicate with filmmakers of what, what you're trying to communicate in that title sequence. Yeah, like I said, um, and then you're right, like uh, it, I, I think that was a perfect marriage between David Fincher and Kyle Cooper right. in that, 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 
you know, there was, uh, in a, you know, these beautiful notebooks, but then Kyle took it to that nth level. And yeah, yeah. Really, he was, you know, uh, and it's funny, um, so, so, they, so many people think it's digitally done, but it was, it was still uh, practically done, practically done yeah, and yeah. shot and everything as, as an example. And, and yeah, working, I think that's one of the best things about my job is working directly with a director or showrunner or visionary or creator of a show or a, right. of a film and really trying to distill what that tone is or what that emotional feeling is for that sequence you're doing. And it becomes, I kind of joked, it becomes sort of a bit of a therapy session. Right. <laughs> between, you know, because then it really makes, it's such a, it's a, such a contained exercise, right? Right. Um, it's a little different than the music that goes maybe over the whole film or the costumes that go over the whole film, but like you're now looking at this section that maybe, you know, two and a half minutes max, right. even, if, if even that, and trying to think of what, how you want it to feel. And I think, um, you know, the best collaboration is like really that back and forth and a lot of dialogue of like what it needs to be and what, what influences and what, uh, we want the audience to feel and sure. and pulling, uh, you know, and, and so much of it, too, is knowing what not to put it, you know, like right. uh, like any good creative decision. It's like not it's also knowing where to pull back. And I think uh, there's a temptation with tile sequence sometimes to be like, it needs to be this and this and this and this and this. Right. I, like it has to encompass everything about the show. Right. And, you know, it's too short to do that. Yeah. And it won't be powerful the more you try to like put in everything, the more mushy it gets, right? Right. And so it's like really about talking about like, no, really the important thing is this, you right. know? Um, you know, I look at some of the more successful ones and there's always this, you know, I can tell there's always a temptation like, you know, should we show the actor? Should we show a scene? No, no, it's better just to show the hands in the book. It's right. better just to do it with the typography. It's better just to have a man falling, you know, right. like, yeah. you know, like just, just pull, you know, think, you know, start, you can start why, but we need to pull back and really get to, you know, what that impression is, uh, right. you know, and it can have a lot of meaning in itself and we can layer thing, you know, you know, but, but we, we, it, it's, it is, it's hard when you're asked to make a sequence that's short that encompasses a whole world to, right. you know, to, to really be disciplined sometimes and be like, no. And that's, I talked a little bit of Lisi's story, which I had just done last yeah. year. And Pablo Rain was very, uh, you know, brave, I think, and, or like very um, focused in the beginning of just saying, no, we aren't going to show that world. We don't need to show my scenes. We don't need to, you know, because there's some beautiful scenes that allude to um, the world of the imagination. Right. And I thought, well, maybe do you want to go into that? And right. No, no, no. Like, let's make it about their inner emotional life. Let's make it stark, which okay. is an interesting perspective. Yeah. Um, you know, and the uh, same, I, I just, uh, this, one of the lessons I learned, I, I worked on Boardwalk Empire, mm -hmm. and which had the most amazing set in Brooklyn. Like, you couldn't believe this set. It's like, in, like you've been on it, and you know, yeah. sometimes you just, they're just, facades of buildings right but this one you could go into the taffy shop with a working taffy oh, maker right. and you can go into the laundry shop it was like you could shoot in you could shoot out and it was this gorgeous boardwalk and of course so my first idea is like we explore the boardwalk from from the main character's point of view and you're seeing all these things and we'll explore this whole world like they have this gorgeous set well montages details there's all this great typography you know because it takes place in the in uh 20s and right. in prohibition so there's wonderful just like production design 
And then, uh, you know, I remember Terry Winters and HBO were said like, no, we don't want a montage of everything. We want something that will make people kind of sit up and like take notice and sure. what, you know, um, and which is sort of interesting. And at first it was heartbreaking to me. I was like, what, you want me to shoot this, cre this beautiful, you know, yeah. like, why are we not shooting all this? But again, I, I credit them with just taking a look and they're like, no, we want to, to see our main character as the eye of the storm. Right. And it's not about this showing, you know, the set. Gotcha. We need a, a, a sort of like an idea where people are like, huh? Like, and so in the end, we start, shot Steve Buscemi, right. uh, which was great. Uh, uh, and he's, you know, surrounded by sort of like a, an ever-changing storm. In fact, you don't see the boardwalk at all. Right. You see him looking out to the horizon of the beach of Atlantic City. Mm -hmm. And it's just a completely 180 from what... I wanted before, but then it, you know, but it's so much more. You're about, you're about to go into the show and see these amazing sets. There's no reason for me to to bring it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like to make it like a trailer or something. Yeah, know? yeah, that's interesting. But you also mentioned you know, like the, the challenges. So like you said, well, do you get to see the whole film before and sort of get inspired by the film to do the title sequence, or sometimes you just get a script and you have a yeah. few hours to pitch. <laughs> <laughs> so how, like, explain that 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 process, like. Well, most of the time, you know, as you know, a film is wet clay. It's so funny because I've, I've taught before I've, or I've critiqued at art schools and right. they might have a project about tile design, but it's always sort of misleading because the students are always looking at the finished movie mm -hmm. and the instructor's like, well, now make a title for this movie. So you see everything just set as right. it is. But when you're working on film, as you all know, work right. on it, it's all this wet, it's wet clay up, you know, endings can be ditched to the last minute, characters can get cut out, you right. know, tones can shift, especially in a series, you know, they, they, it starts as something and then they shoot and, you know, it, it might turn into something else or, you know, there's, it's all, you know, and then you're into that process. Now, Usually the tile design, um, a lot of the times it takes place near the, the end, when, uh, the latter half after production or as production is closing up and you get a little bit, luckily most of the time I do get to see some dailies, I get to, I always look uh, at what all the other designers are doing, I always ask for the, you know, um, the set designs and the, and the costumes and anything that can tell me about this world visually. Right. Uh, and it's just like trying to get as much as you can. Sometimes there'll be a very rough cut or even just an assembly, which to everybody yeah. is just scenes cut together. It's extremely long, no final music, right. you know, but just to get the story, uh, you know, so there's varying degrees of what I get to see, but usually very rarely the finish, you know, something close to finish because sure. you're working alongside everybody making the show. Right. Um, and the advantage of that too is that Many, I mean, my, I like it when, when filmmakers or showrunners contact me somewhat early because if there's an opportunity to shoot on their set or when, if, if need be an actor like Steve Buscemi or, you know, then, or have the, um, I shot all these props burning. Um, it was like the last day of their shoot for little fires everywhere. I've had a very simple idea of little fires just basically burning uh, many of the crucial objects and props in the show. Uh, but that could be arranged for the, you know, as soon as when they were done with the props on their last right. day of shooting, but we still had pyrotechnics available to do that. And, oh, right, yeah. right, right. So, so it's nice to be contacted early enough that if we could use the set or something. Right. I think I mentioned in Counterpart, we had access to their beautiful set, you know, which can generate a lot of uh, material. Yeah. Um, it's cool. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The other thing that's interesting, I was thinking about it during your talk, is that, you know, 
back in the old days, these main titles would always be at the beginning. Now we do a lot of main on ends, mm -hmm. right? And so, which is at the end of the film. Which my, my, I remember my son was confused because we watched an old movie. He's like, why are they putting the titles at the beginning? And, and it's so like, many, too. Sometimes the, Yeah, yeah and it's like, well, they, they used to be up. at the beginning. Having them at the end was uh, a new phenomenon. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And now that's like all we do. Of main so, on end. Yeah. Of main on end. So, but the main on end idea is like, it's great because the main title you can be much more freeing to do what you want mm -hmm. without any spoilers. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, so, what, so what what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, yeah, no, it's a t it's a different challenge. It's it's wonderful to have that freedom. You right. can like revisit moments in the story. Right. You're, it's a different feeling. Like uh, a main title, its function is to kind of draw people in in a certain way. Like I sure. uh, explained that. So much of title design is, is is creating this magic portal, right? Like, right. okay, leave your real life behind you just had to you know deal with that t terrible parking lot and you're right, suddenly right. you see your popcorn's fine now you know you can you can enter the movie now or right. you can even just be you know if you're on your couch you can just you can leave real real life behind and so that's that portal the main title bridges that that world and, get, and lets you your, yourself in and then i think for the end titles it's, it's uh similar but now you want to give a feeling for people to quote leave the theater even if it's you know sure. somebody you know watching at home but like you're you're giving a parting right uh emotion which is is different you know um right. i think the um you know it's always kind of thrilling when there's a main title in i think in, you know in the beginning of a film that's integrated really interestingly right. to get you into the film but the the end titles, like you say, like I, we had just uh, most recently worked on the Spider-Man No Way Home ones, right. and it's and it is cool because you don't have to worry. There are things that you can reference back and wink about right. <laughs> from the film, like you know there were little. Do it was based on a, a sketchbook, right. and so there were even like things that we did that uh, are very faintly printed, almost like on the back of a sketchbook page, uh, yep. that are kind of Easter eggs if you wanted to stop and you know once you're it's on uh you know uh, media that you can stop and you could you know look at it and be like oh i that's the letter that peter sent or that's the you sure. know um and so it's really fun incorporating some of those things you can go you don't have to worry and there's always a concern uh in the beginning of a film too of like you want it to feel you never want your ties to take too long or to actually feel long sure. you know obviously uh and and you know there's always a concern in the beginning of a film like okay we're taking too long to get into this into the story so you're always very conscious of that right, right, right. And, and you know and the, the funny thing is like sometimes the absolute time doesn't matter it's just how it how it a scene feels right, right. it's the same for titles uh but the end you know you have a little more luxury of that you don't have to worry about oh we got to get into it you know it sure. feels long here you know um and uh yeah it's a good um we really enjoyed the the, the Spider-Man one just for for all those you know yeah. all those uh, layers we could put in and, and there's things you could put in that you could not put in if you had it at the beginning. No, absolutely not. <laughs> right? Yeah. So so the Spider-Man ones I, I did mention that you know you always have to keep your projects under wraps anyway. Right. But this one was like top secret, crazy sure. lockdown security because nobody was supposed to know. It kind of leaked on the internet, you know, right. early. But that but, that that you know. Um, the other the, there were three Spider-Mans that the original you right. know Tommy Maguire and Andrew Garfield would be in the film at all right. was a closely guarded secret and of course of you'll look at the title sequences you'd know that right away <laughs> exactly or we had a lot of images with three Spider-Men you know right. boarding around plus and, you'd have to have their names <laughs> yeah exactly that was like the the you know super under wraps and also their images because uh, the sketchbooks have their their um their faces and so even as we were 
having artists work on it, you know, yeah. it's like, so, so there was that too. And of course you couldn't put that at the front, but, yeah. but we had all these jokes with the three of them at the end. So right. that was super fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The other thing I was going to talk, uh, ask you about, because my, my wife has done some title stuff as well and graphic things, m much more simple things, but she did also a lot of uh, end crawls back in the day when she was like, that was my, the tiring thing that I did. And crawls are <laughs> yeah, tough. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're tough. They're tough. They're tough and they're very technical. Yeah, but, but, I usually try to get out of them. Yeah, <laughs> but there's like, you know, how, like the size of the letters has to be specific and the, how big someone's name is and how long it's on screen and all of those types of things. Yes. I was thinking about that challenge, like those constraints, like how do you work within those constraints to make sure like I can read that person's name. Yeah. That, the title of the movie is bigger than this. Like, yeah. there's a bunch of rules out yeah. there that you have to work in, right? Yeah, for 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 main titles. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm less. Uh, we I usually set a style sheet for a crawl. And sure, 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 sure. <laughs> Make sure it doesn't strobe and have somebody yeah, who specializes yeah. in that. Yep. But um, but yeah, that's bring, you bring up a really geeky, awesomely geeky question. Yeah. But I get that. <laughs> and somebody was at this at the THU conference was asking me like, what what are the some of the uh, biggest limitations you have as, as a title designer? Right. Which was an excellent question. One is time, but the other is this, this sort of phenomenon that was probably invisible to most people of what is legal requirements. Right. Because after all, you know, all said is done. There, you know, you can do a beautiful sequence and it can be part of the story, but but it has a, fun a legal function. And to, the unions are involved in yeah. making sure that that, yeah. that person's name is this size. Yeah. And that. Yeah. So there's a legal you know require much like a books you know uh copyright page or something it's a legal thing that is required to show right. who worked in the film and and there are size requirements um mostly dictated uh by you know so so just a little bit of history here the the idea of credits and billing is taken from the theater world. Okay. So, so you know, in a theater sign, you know, in Broadway or other productions at the time, like you would know who has the top billing, who is the biggest actor, uh, talent in um, in a production by, they'd get their name on top. Right. So movies have followed that convention in that the first ranked actor is the top, or or the actors above title that come up you know, uh, before the title comes on, you know, yeah. Tom Cruise, Top Gun, right. you know, that's a coveted, that's a negotiated position before. So the order of the titles matter very much. It's a pretty prescribed, yeah. whether you're above, before title or after title. Right. And then you will, as a title designer, usually get a sheet of like what the size requirements of, of the, um, of, of the crew and, and the cast are. And that's it, what it's pegged to is the actual size of the title, which is measured by the the height of the letters. The so, height of the yeah, letters. Yeah, yeah. So it's not font size. Okay. It's, it's like you know, and and you know, you, as long as you can you know do these calculations and make them justifiably right. so, it's fine. So for instance, I'm in the DGA, the Directors Guild, right. and I'm having worked on all these projections. Uh, I know the DGA requirement is that the um, oh, I'm going to get that wrong, but it, the director's name has to be at least 40% of the title, and this is to protect at least 40%. Yeah, yeah. Right. So if you you know, um, it, or you have to get a waiver from them, and right. this is basically to protect you know, let's say the studio's mad at a director, they can't put the name like super tight and, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. and cheat the director out right. of the credit, right? Right. Um, the WGA has similar. Uh, Writers Guild of America has, has similar. A lot of the times, there's a ripple effect. So a lot of times, maybe the writer's credit is also 
uh, compared, like it can't be less than the director's credit. Like, so there's this right. starts to be this whole thing where, you know, this person can't be less than these people. And so right. what I usually do is, um, Make everybody the same size. <laughs> right. Find the requirement and make everybody so there's no, because I didn't, you usually don't want type, you know, there's some uh, instances where I've had to use different sizes and different names, but you know, usually I don't want to like make this obvious and have people bounce around because people right. won't argue if their size, if they're, it's just, it's a minimum requirement. So, right. so you can always make people bigger. You can sure. always make somebody you know, more than their 40% or 100% right. of everything. Um, so you start to, start to play with these cred sizes. But somebody asked me once in a talk, like, why why isn't there more experimentation with the typography? And some of it is because, you yeah. know, you have these legal requirements. That's why I love so much there there and then you can you can do it, except that um, like I remember for seven, I believe Kyle got a waiver or got, you know, asked the production and got censured waivers from the actors. You can always go to the actors agents or the different right. and, and try to tell them like, look, here a little unconventional and right. you know um see if they can sign off and luckily they did, they did. on something yeah. like that yeah. and you can see they're still evenly treated yep uh but you know um but that's why when you see credits that there isn't a, a lot of like variation but I, I love the ones that do like i think thank yeah. you for not smoke or thank you for smoking yeah. had this wonderful thing where they found all the titles on different um you know, cigarette packages yep. uh, that comes to mind. I mentioned one of my delicatessen. Delicatessen is yep. one of my all-time favorites. I think you know, be, being French, I think that film maybe didn't have the the, the American Union. Yeah. When I do an indie film, try, I sometimes try to do. I did um, an indie film where you found different things like on Dynamo tape, and then are stenciled on something because mm -hmm. you have you're you're not controlled by those union requirements. Sure. And, um, and we're just working on one that I'm hoping right now, we're just finishing right now, where it's very much influenced by punk graphics. And so I was like, dang, yeah, but if we're going to be, you know, influenced by the Lower East Side and punk flyers and, you know, and, and music, like, can we not have the credits be different, right. you know, hand done examples? And I think right now it's going through approval, so fingers crossed right. that we can. It just takes a little bit more legwork, and you know, when it's crunch time, it's hard to do. Right. And you need a good reason to do it, obviously. Yeah, uh, you have to. Yeah, you, you can't know, just. It has do to it. fit the idea. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I do remember, like, when the the first time I sort of became aware of this size thing, this was we we're watching Signs, and Signs is like this. The huge title says science yeah. and then M. Night Shyamalan was like just like a block of white like because it's like it's like, yeah. it like that's a little M. Night Shyamalan's a lot of letters compared to signs I and remember I was, <laughs> do you remember that title yes yes I, and I, one of my earliest was um uh, working on the title of uh Richie Rich uh -huh. and Macaulay Culkin that's a star. lot of letters and so you know you can't help it like when somebody's name is like Macaulay Culkin, but it's, and poor Richie Rich's name is like this big, and right. Macaulay, you know, it's yeah. like, <laughs> yep. you're like, how can we make this look like the title and still meet our size requirements? Right. You could do tricky things, like you could have a zoom, and then you say, oh, the average of the zoom, zoom. is, right. the, you know, so there's all these little f shenanigans we do, but, you know, the, the main thing, and I agree, is like, you want to give the respect to the crew and the act and sure. the talent. It's a, it is a title sequence yeah. and not, you know, treat them as a thing that's illegible in the interest of trying to make something cool. But, you know, uh, you know yeah. so I get the protections, but but it is a, just one more thing you got to do when you're yeah, designing yeah, yeah. these. Yeah, I, it's, it just makes me realize how revolutionary uh, Apocalypse Now was, which had no titles in the entire film. 
Oh, uh, wow, yeah. So there's no titles at all. And the only way that they were able to call it Apocalypse Now is because at one point in the film, there was graffiti on a wall that said Apocalypse uh -huh. Now. And that was the title of the film. Oh, wonderful. And yeah. it's in the middle of the film, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. so that's how they did it. It's like, oh, wow. It's like, how did they get away with that? It's like, well, they didn't have those rules back then. But, <laughs> but yeah. OK, I do want to talk about music. And you, you mentioned the importance of music. Oh, absolutely. And how, you know, obviously, you used timing, et cetera. And you mentioned, obviously, music videos had some influence back in the 90s and things of that nature. But do you? When you're doing the title sequence, do you come up with the music that you think would work, or are you given a piece of music to start your influence? Like, how does that, or is it uh, either oh, or? Oh, gosh, it's a grab bag of things. Like, sometimes uh, a showrunner or a uh, director comes with something, you mm -hmm. know, or, or uh, more often than not, you're starting off finding music or musicians themselves or whatever, and mm -hmm. they'll we'll put what we call a clip track on. Right. Um, and, and something we think that has a feeling, or we'll ask, um, the best ways to start actually is to ask the composer of the film or the show, mm -hmm. are there any, uh, you know, and usually they're like, oh no, gosh, I haven't composed that yet. Right. But they'll have click tracks or they'll have mood music from other things and say like, I'm thinking of, some, this is the mood of the film, or right. you'll, you'll hear little snippets of, of tests for, for for the film and you can use that. Um, sometimes we'll then go even further and go into their uh, sites and try to find something they've composed before that we think might work better. Uh, I, we're always struggling and one of the things that really to us makes the title work often is um, you know, dynamic changes, you know, or a build or, sure, you know, sure, something sure. that propels you through the sequence. Right. And sometimes you get that in these samples and sometimes you, you just don't because they're just flavor, you know, um, samples. But we'll, we'll try to find something that works that we can cut our images to listen to while we're, um, and then sometimes, you know, it will, uh, if it's a, there's some instances where we find a click track and we all fall in love with it yep. uh, so much that we, even when we try something else, it doesn't work, and, and if we can license it, then then great. I remember I worked with uh, Harold Ramis on this comedy Bedazzled, like back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, we had, and you know, what, some of the fun is trying unconventional music. Um, it was kind of like this kind of country or this country song. You're the one I've been looking for, right? Uh, and it just worked perfectly with the sequence and even heighten the comedy. Uh, even afterwards, the music supervisor was like, okay, let's try some other things right. and tried some more techno stuff. It was a sequence where Brendan Fraser's is going around the city and you know, there's some time lapse and things. And, uh, and uh, you know, it just didn't, didn't I think work. we'd all got used to this kind of fun, yeah. uh, you know, rhythm of it. And that, uh, you know, uh, Matt, Matthew Weiner for, uh, suggested the RJD2 song for Mad Men right. right off like that was, which was a brilliant sort of thing. But I love it sometimes when there's this tension between where, what the visuals are doing and the music. Cause like he could have picked a, a, you know, something that's period from that time. Sure. Right. Makes total sense. He uses all that wonderful music in Mad Men of the time. Right. right. But the fact that he had something, you know, contemporary just gives it so much more of that edge. I felt with Boardwalk Empire, the same thing we were, cycling through all kinds of music and, and that's kind of fun to, it's really fun to take a sequence the same exact sequence and just lay different music we put Bob Dylan down on that we put you right. know an old ditty from the 20s from that that was you know we put classical just to see how it changes right. um, and again it was a contemporary piece in the end that just made it feel um, you know because sometimes when the visuals are period piece and the music is period it just drives it into this uh, 
place where you don't feel it's, you know, like when you're in the drama, it's current to you, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's not a historical piece. Right, right. So, so the music can help can help a lot with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I do, what was the, uh, there was a trailer to Marie Antoinette that was done with 80s music. Yeah. It, was, it totally changed the mood of the film. Totally. And, and it's such a great idea but to, to do that. Uh, but let, like for example, like like Stranger Things, it's such an iconic mm -hmm. image and sound that mm -hmm. went together. So <laughs> I almost want to say, what came first? Did they come to like did the, the, the sound come first? Was there a soundtrack that happened and then you guys inspired to it? It or? was a it's kind of a melding yeah. of yeah, and that's when it's the best. It's when you can work. You know, the best is when we can even in storyboard form sh show the uh, you know composer what we're thinking of, and the composer sends us something, and we're mm -hmm. like, that's great, but could you know we're gonna hit it you know uh, here could there's something can we time it and you know we you know so that dialogue and of course the duffers were that you know very specific of what they wanted right the the, the attention to the detail of that kind of period of those almost those Richard Greenberg 70s 80s yep. <laughs> it's very 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 specific and mm -hmm. you know that can't be just counted too of like the the vision of the showrunners and, right. the, and the director of like okay you know i i know i really want it to be this this slice of life or this bit of this feeling is so specific right I, i'm going to tell you know my composer and my designers this is what we're working towards and that that helps too yeah, but, yeah. you know the, but uh you know, uh, that's, that works, and but then there's also the open book, you know, like, okay, sure. you know, like I mentioned John Watts in the beginning, you know, the Spider-Man No Way Home ends on a bittersweet note, and in the beginning we thought, well, maybe it's not as, you know, not as toe tapping, yeah, toe -tapping. Uh, you know, <laughs> and we tried some other things, and then he quickly realized, I think, or, that he's like, no, no, we need that energy, we need the Steve Ditko bright graphics, we need right. the maximalism, we need that, that, that energy, because actually because we've ended on this note. Right, to help know. us get out of it. Yeah, and then <laughs> yeah. so the music, you know, then that totally changes the music, you know, right. uh, direction. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. The other thing I think that's really cool about uh, what what you guys are doing and, and the influences that you've had is, is that your titles are Timeless and titles are sometimes very dated. <laughs> <laughs> kind of you to say they're timeless. <laughs> yeah, they are, and it's very interesting because I think you guys borrow from so many different things. You're mm -hmm. not necessarily trying to be in the moment, you are mm -hmm. looking at different things out there. So, how, I mean, I think I was trying to allude to this question. I'm going to get a little deeper into yeah, it, yeah. but. There is a lot of stuff that's, that technology is allowing us to look at as exploring as different uh, interesting uh, ideas, especially things like Houdini has all these procedural things that you can do oh, that are so cool and crazy. interesting, right? Yeah. But you don't want to be like, oh, that's that plugin from right. After Effects right. or whatever. It's like, oh, that was popular back in the 90s. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. You know, like there's that there's one that plug. There's that wash that we all use. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so yeah. How, do you, how, do you, how does technology help help create these cool ideas, but also how do you suppose, like, I don't want to do this thing where it just looks like something that came out in 1995. Or, or, right. <laughs> it's a tough one, of course, when you're in the moment, yeah. you don't know what that look for. I think the number one thing is, like, being true to the world of the story. Yeah. You know, wherever that is, if it's the 80s, you know, or is it, is it is it the 60s, is it now, but it's a very specific subculture, you know, uh, and really diving deep into the material um, is, is helpful, because the most important thing is that the titles match that they are proper, you know, encapsulation of the the world of the film or the show. Sure. And so really digging deep there and not being 
distracted by the outside of like, oh, there's this cool thing I want to try here. You know, uh, of course, we look at all the wonderful things being made with the technology. But I think for me, uh, and always even just as a you know graphic de designer, even w if I was working on a poster or whatever, the idea always comes first. Um, right. I jokingly showed a pencil as the first piece of technology we use of just, let's figure out what we want as an idea first. Let's right. just not worry about, and this has gotten me into trouble before too, <laughs> when it comes to production, but, but I can't help it, it's the way I think. Sure. Uh, you know, like let's think about what that idea is at the very beginning, and maybe it is like, too big at first, but right. we'll find we can find ways to keep the essence of that idea, um, you know, as we go into production. You know, um, so you know, I think it's sketching out those ideas, looking looking at what we really want to do. Um, for instance, for one of our titles, we thought, you know, I was working with uh, Alan Williams, my, one of my collaborators, and he's like, wouldn't it be great to build a big cathedral that floods with water. Right. We can't do that, right? But we can build the little crush, you know, little, the, the statues and, and have a water level. You know, like right. we can, you know, now when we go into production, we can, we can revisit that idea right. uh, and figure out how to do it. But, to, but in the initial phases, we're really trying to drill down into an idea. Um, and of course, part of design is looking at what you have and what you can do, what you can afford, you know, but, we like that free vision at first and then being able to be like, okay, we will be able to do this. We do have time to do this in Houdini. We don't have time to do a full 3D right. piece or budget, you know, right. um, but we do have this one thing that'd be awesome to photograph or, you know. Right, right. And so I think keeping true to the story is one thing. I think too, like um, keeping, you know, always taking a step back and, 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 and seeing, um, what that editorial style might accomplish. I mentioned this punk thing we're doing or this music driven thing. Sure. You know, um, what are we, you know, half, you know, are we picking an editorial style that furthers the emotional <laughs> mood right. or agenda of the story? Or is it, is it, you know, are we doing this to like, you know, to, you know, to hide something we don't have sure. or to, you know, and I think one of the things too that, hopefully keeps things kind of classic is, uh, you know, attention to actual typography itself too, because, mm -hmm. you know, you, you fling off some font on the moment, or, you know, or right. something, or don't pay attention to that. And then yep. that's what I think sometimes you're like, ooh, you know, like that right. wasn't set so nice. And I, you know. Um, don't just put Trajan out there. Yeah, time. exactly. <laughs> what are the Google Trajan alternatives? Uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yep. And then Kyle always would tell me, oh, you know, you see, you know, make sure that the, the, that attention to those details are heated because, you know, you project it on a big screen, you will yep. see it. You know, uh, it's. I always tell students, like, don't forget the curve, don't forget these little things because those details, you don't think you see it when you're working small, but. Remember, your work is going to be projected. Really big, yeah. Uh, and, and then that end looks yeah, <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. You wish you fixed that. Yeah. So, yeah, that's interesting. What do you, what do you think are, are some of the trends you're seeing, like, coming up in the future? Like, what are some of the things happening in title sequences that I think would, would be something to look like? I think this is where they're going to yeah, go. Yeah, no, it's super exciting right now with, uh, you know, premium and streaming television. That's really revolutionized. I, I touched on that yesterday and yeah. that because there aren't time constraints, to, I mean, everybody wants to get, you know, to the show, of course, right. but the, 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 there aren't time constraints on, on titles. You can have them evolve and you can have them evolve, uh, you know, to the point where different episodes have different sequences or we're starting to see um, 
different seasons, flight changes between updates on title sequences so it becomes part of the storytelling yep. experiences, Easter eggs being, you know, reasons. You know, we all want to give people reasons not to skip the titles. And, right. and the showrunners and the people. But all, that's the thing. You have, they have the power to skip the title. They, how, do you, yes. how do you feel about that? <laughs> well, as I just said in my talk, it's like, of course I want people to watch the titles. It's like, yes. And I, you know, I... I make my my family watch the titles right. when we're watching shows, even as you know we're going on and you know doing a little binge, uh, just out of solidarity to my right. designers, and also you know I, I enjoy them. But honestly, you know, so of course I want people to watch them, and I feel like the onus is on us as as designers and right. and and people making the content to make them interesting enough. Right. Uh, and that's why I always push it on to musicians who I'm like, it's your theme. If they love your theme, they're not gonna, <laughs> they're not gonna skip it. Yeah, it's um, true. <laughs> but I think, um, but I think people are getting into it, and we're realizing there's opportunity there. Um, in, 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 in terms of skipping the titles, though, the reality is that they, they become because of the way our um, media has evolved. Right. Um, happily, they they have a life almost outside the show as much as they do as in front of the show. Yeah, you yeah. Know? I was saying Game of Thrones. It's like you watch the titles because you want to know what's going to happen. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. every show has its own title and shows where we're going to go today. Totally, <laughs> I love that. That's a super opportunity, a smart way of using. Yep. This is you know, like I said, this is a legal requirement. You got to show the actors' names. Why right. not make it like an opportunity yeah. where you can show these sort of things? And also, how many times have you seen a title outside the show, right. like where somebody forwarded? hey look at this cool title or you know you've watched it on the internet yep. and it functions as a short film or this trailer yeah you know and which is a huge opportunity I think for platforms that you know like why do a title because you can use that you know uh, it, it, for people almost to carry a piece of the show with them while they're not and connecting to it yeah while they're not watching your show yeah, right because yeah. you know you're usually not in that world but my goodness when you you know people are immediately it, it transported to that show when they see, you know, um, the iconic logo or hear that music. You can be anywhere and hear yeah. it. it's Pavlovian almost. Yeah. Twilight Zone. Yeah. And I, you immediately say that. Right? <laughs> yeah. Years later, right? Shows I watch. Yeah, right? <laughs> like, it's like, what? You yeah. Know? And you can just see the titles <laughs> yeah. in front of your face. Yeah. Exactly. It brings you right there. So, right. so the power of titles are actually even more so because of our short format video yeah. environments that we're now moving through. So it, does it matter if you skip it? I'd rather you, you didn't, but but it doesn't really matter. It's, it almost has more, you know, these little high cues of, of the show have right. more, you know, potency, you know, as yeah. their own uh, standalones in some ways. Yeah. And uh, I showed Cowboy Bebop last, oh, last night. That's so cool. <laughs> it's fun. I mean, I had great source material, right? Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, the idea that, and that talk about a soundtrack that really, yep. oh my goodness. Um, but it was super cool. Netflix dropped it before the show, and it became this thing where people suddenly eyes were on Cowboy Bebop and gearing up for that launch. Um, mm -hmm. And other, I know other uh, platforms have done that too, where they use that as a tool, almost you know, to build anticipation, which is exactly what titles are doing. But in a way, you know, the traditional way is obviously just to see it right before the show. But now it's right. almost like giving it even more lead time and more. Um, you know, more of that portal from the from the from the real world. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. We don't have much time. We've got a little over. If that's okay. Yeah. That's but okay. I do want to know because uh, you guys also have done this, uh, IDs like the Netflix N. Like mm -hmm. that's so 
big <laughs> and so important yet it's like update too yeah it's like a few seconds yeah like how is like tell us about that like doing something like that is a big deal right? yeah yeah no <laughs> I, I should stress and i, I kind of open with this in my talk is that you know most of the work we do is not in tile sequences right it's a probably most, our most visible work our right. most internationally known work and right. it connects us to so many people right and it uh, gets you more work yeah it's more work and they're, they're just fun to do frankly yeah. they're they're uh uh but you know we we have a full you know uh creative company that is is creating things from brand films to you know to uh commercial production to install you know films for architectural installations i've even worked on one for an opera you know yeah, or yeah. things that you know so everything as small as things on your phone to like big you know big spaces right and that like you mentioned um includes branding and um logos for studios sure. um, um teasers and trailers so in terms of i think you know it's like sort of like a give i give a talk at something like thu and i know most people aren't title designers right it's a it's a niche thing, yeah. <laughs> but the things you learn from it are like, okay, how do you make something resonate in somebody's memory? You yeah. know, how do you what what makes something iconic, right? Mm -hmm. Like what makes it so it's own something ownable? Like I I, I kind of joke about that Pavlovian uh -huh. response, but you know, um, what are those ingredients and doing that in a short amount of time? And I think the logos that you mentioned are the ultimate in doing this in the short. You know, you get a brief and some some there are different durations. Usually, you have to do maybe one that's like. Right. Two seconds, three seconds, five seconds, twelve seconds, just depending on, you know, the use. Whether it's in front of the, either theatrical films or you know, uh, whether right, right. or whether it's just the blip on a trailer. Right. Uh, but or just it, opening the app. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's all you know. They have to translate, but have to be quick and like how many you know how can you make that impression? Right. Is is the design challenge, which is cool. We just did an update actually to the Netflix. Uh, we did the original the their you know their, their end. end and their spectrum yeah and we just did an update which was which was great but you know just and you know there's a certain like just kind of burst of beauty that you want to present right you know and these things have to be um you know i always judge the success of a project in that um it's successful if it can't necessarily be for any other story or brand you know you want it to be bespoke you can't you don't want it to be so generic that um you know, you could easily put it in front of this brand or in this right. in front of this story, or yeah. you know, even even if the themes are are similar, right? Like, I right. wouldn't want our Spider-Man to play be okay for another Spider. It should be for that specific specific one. Or right. if you're doing a mob movie, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. or a cop show, like it shouldn't be like, oh, well, that could go, you know, equally on, you know, it yep. should have something about <laughs> it that is ownable, basically. Right. And I think these, like you mentioned these logos are probably the ultimate in like trying to make something ownable in the in the shortest amount of time really I, and i never thought about the design challenge like this has to feel good in front of any show like yes. whether it's a comedy or yes. a horror or anything it's like oh right yeah and just thinking about like this could be in front of anything you know yeah, yeah. which is so different than the titles too like where right. it should, should only be in front of this comedy or it should feel like a thriller right when you're doing these logos it's got to feel like there's a breath like it has to feel okay in front of like right yeah the most serious film and you know in front of a loony animation you yep. know so yeah interesting it's really fascinating 
Well, this has been an amazing talk. You've been an amazing person to hang out with over <laughs> at you. THU, you. And, and it's uh, you know I'd love to continue talking to you about this stuff because I've got all I've got lots of questions. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you, thank you, and thank you for your interest in uh, what I do. It's been a pleasure, and uh, I'm enjoying my time here at THU. <laughs> <Awesome. laughs> all right, thanks.